Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about gastroenteritis. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerodefinals.com slash infectious disease or in the infectious diseases section of the second edition of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Acute gastritis is inflammation of the stomach and it presents with epigastric pain or pain at the top of the abdomen, nausea and vomiting. Enteritis is inflammation of the intestines and it presents with abdominal pain and diarrhea. Gastroenteritis is inflammation all the way from the stomach to the intestines and it presents with pain, nausea, vomiting and diarrhea. The most common causes of gastroenteritis are viruses. Viral gastroenteritis is very easily spread and patients often have an affected family member or close contact. It's essential to isolate the patient in a healthcare environment such as a hospital ward or assessment unit as it can spread to other patients. Most people with gastroenteritis recover well. However, it can rarely be fatal, especially in very young or old patients or those with other health conditions. Let's talk about viral gastroenteritis. Viral gastroenteritis is common and it's highly contagious. Specific viruses include rotavirus, norovirus and adenovirus. An adenovirus tends to cause respiratory symptoms such as a runny nose and a sore throat. Next let's talk about Escherichia coli. Escherichia coli or E. coli is a normal intestinal bacteria, meaning that it normally lives in the colon without causing any problems. Only certain strains cause gastroenteritis. E. coli spread through contact with infected feces, unwashed salads and contaminated water. E. coli 0157 produces the sugar toxin. The sugar toxin causes abdominal cramps, bloody diarrhea and vomiting. It also destroys blood cells leading to hemolytic uremic syndrome or HUS. The use of antibiotics increases the risk of hemolytic uremic syndrome. Therefore antibiotics should be avoided if E. coli 0157 gastroenteritis is a possibility. Next let's talk about Campylobacter jejuni. Campylobacter is a common cause of traveller's diarrhoea. It's the most common bacterial cause of gastroenteritis worldwide. Campylobacter means curved bacteria. It's a gram-negative bacteria that has a curved or spiral shape. It's spread by raw or improperly cooked poultry, meaning chicken, untreated water, or unpasteurized milk. The incubation period for Campylobacter is 2 to 5 days and the symptoms resolve after 3 to 6 days. Symptoms are abdominal cramps, diarrhea often with blood, vomiting and fever. Antibiotics can be considered after isolating the organism where patients have severe symptoms or other risk factors such as HIV or heart failure. 
Clarithromycin is often first line and azithromycin and ciprofloxacin are alternative options. Next let's talk about Shigella. Shigella is spread via feces, either person to person or through contaminated drinking water or food. The incubation period is one to two days and symptoms usually resolve within one week. It causes bloody diarrhea, abdominal cramps and fever. Shigella can produce the sugar toxin which can cause hemolytic uremic syndrome. Treatment of severe cases is with azithromycin or ciprofloxacin. Next let's talk about salmonella. Salmonella is spread by eating raw eggs or poultry or food contaminated with the infected feces of small animals. The incubation period for salmonella is 12 hours to 3 days and symptoms usually resolve within one week. Symptoms are watery diarrhea which may be associated with mucus or blood, abdominal pain and vomiting. Antibiotics are only necessary in severe cases and are guided by stool culture and sensitivity testing. An example is ciprofloxacin. Next let's talk about Bacillus cereus. Bacillus cereus is a gram-positive rod spread by contaminated cooked food. It grows on food not immediately refrigerated after cooking for example fried rice or cooked pasta that's been left at room temperature. Whilst growing on food, Bacillus cereus produces a toxin called cerulide that causes abdominal cramping and vomiting within 5 hours of ingestion. Reheating the food can kill the bacteria but it does not destroy the cerulide toxin. When Bacillus cereus arrives in the intestines, it produces different toxins that cause watery diarrhea. Diarrhea occurs more than 8 hours after ingestion. All of the symptoms usually resolve within 24 hours. The typical course is vomiting within 5 hours due to the cerulide toxin, diarrhea after 8 hours when the Bacillus cereus bacteria arrives in the intestines, and a complete resolution of symptoms within 24 hours. A Tom tip for you, the typical exam patient with Bacillus cereus develops symptoms soon after eating fried rice that has been left at room temperature. They develop symptoms shortly afterwards, then recover within 24 hours. Examiners like this question because the course is easily distinguished from other causes of gastroenteritis. You may also come across Bacillus cereus with infective endocarditis in intravenous drug users, where heroin has been contaminated by the bacteria. However, Staph aureus is the most common cause of infective endocarditis in IV drug users. Next, let's talk about Yersinia enterocolitica. Yersinia enterocolitica is a gram-negative bacillus. Pigs are key carriers of the bacteria and eating raw or undercooked pork can cause infection. It's also spread through contact with infected humans, animals or feces. Yersinia typically affects children causing watery or bloody diarrhea 
abdominal pain and fever. The incubation period is four to seven days. The symptoms can last longer than other causes of enteritis and they can last up to three weeks or even more. Older children and adults present with right-sided abdominal pain due to mesenteric lymphadenitis, which is inflammation in the intestinal lymph nodes, as well as presenting with a fever, which can give the impression of appendicitis. Antibiotics for Yersinia are only necessary in severe cases and are guided by the stool culture and sensitivity. As a side note, Yersinia pestis, a different species of Yersinia, is spread through rat flea bites and causes plague. Next let's talk about Staphylococcus enterotoxins. Staphylococcus aureus can produce enterotoxins when it's growing on foods such as eggs, dairy and meat. When eaten, these toxins cause inflammation in the intestines with symptoms of diarrhea, vomiting, abdominal cramps and fever. The symptoms start within hours of ingestion and usually settle within 12 to 24 hours. It's the enterotoxin that's causing the symptoms rather than the bacteria. Next let's talk about giardiasis. Giardia lamblia is a type of microscopic parasite. It lives in the small intestines of mammals. These mammals may be pets, farmyard animals or other humans. Giardia releases cysts in the faeces and the cysts may contaminate food or water and when the cysts are eaten they infect a new host and this is called fecal oral transmission. Infection with giardia may not cause any symptoms or it may cause chronic diarrhea. The diagnosis is made by stool microscopy. Treatment is with tinidazole or metronidazole. Next let's talk about the general principles of managing gastroenteritis. Food poisoning is a notifiable disease, which means that the UK Health Security Agency needs to be notified of suspected cases. When notifiable organisms, for example Giardia, are identified on testing, the lab needs to notify the UK Health Security Agency. Good hygiene helps to prevent gastroenteritis. When patients develop symptoms, they should immediately be isolated in order to avoid spread. Barrier nursing and rigorous infection control are important for inpatients in hospital. A faeces sample can be sent to the lab for microscopy, culture and sensitivities to establish the causative organism and the antibiotic sensitivities, working out which antibiotics will work. Dehydration is the primary concern in patients with gastroenteritis. The key to management is establishing whether patients can keep themselves hydrated or whether they need admission for intravenous fluids. Antibiotics are generally not recommended or required and most patients will make a full recovery with simple supportive management. Oral rehydration salt solution for example, diorolite sachets mixed with water can help replace losses in patients that are at risk of dehydration, for example, frail patients.
and these contain glucose, potassium and sodium. Anti-diarrheal drugs, for example loperamide, and antiemetics to prevent sickness, for example metoclopramide, are generally avoided as they can worsen the condition. The NICE clinical knowledge summaries updated in June 2023 suggest anti-diarrheal drugs may be helpful in mild to moderate diarrhea but they should be avoided with E. coli 0157, Shigella or bloody diarrhea. Antibiotics are only used in patients at risk of complications once the causative organism is confirmed. Once the oral intake is better tolerated, a light diet with small quantities of bland foods can be introduced. Patients should stay off work or school for 48 hours after the symptoms completely resolve. Finally, let's mention the post-gastroenteritis complications. And these include lactose intolerance, irritable bowel syndrome, reactive arthritis, Guillain-Barre syndrome, and hemolytic uremic syndrome. So thanks for listening to this episode on gastroenteritis. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about Clostridium difficile.